Okay, cook. Underestimated and still I made it. In the book of hard knocks, I'm highly educated. Nobody told me looked over, but still dedicated. Played in the league for 13, I ain't gotta be favorite. Two Super Bowls, Honolulu, I stood with the greatest. The thing is this, if never rich, I'm good with my neighbors. DB Precision, television, ain't ask for no favors. Numbers don't lie, neither do pictures, just look in the papers. No backing down or turning back, part two of the movie. Never the biggest, but it takes more than two just to move me. Ain't gotta like what I'm saying, just respect it, it's honest. Run through opponents, watch the film, it's effective, I promise. Sit back and grab your popcorn, watch me go to work. And tackle all of these topics right here on Face First. Uh. Yeah, we are back. It's been a while. I, I took a little break. I had some things to to go do, and I wanted to wait till we had something exciting to talk about. And I mean, everybody knows about Black Monday. It's the day after the last weekend of football and coaches start to get fired. Obviously, we saw some coaches who were gone, you know, before the season ended. Freddie Kitchens was cut right away and fired right away after they lose to the Cincinnati Bengals. And so now, you know, coaches are going to start their search. Ron Rivera was let go early on in the season. Pat Shermer ends up being let go from the New York Giants and Jason Garrett, which seems like a it seemed like a breakup with Jerry Jones that just wouldn't happen. No, I love you. No, I love you. Oh, no. Stay. Can we try again? Let's get one more date. Uh, How about a sleepover? And so you have all these things happen. And then finally, they move on from Jason Garrett. And the news comes out that if they didn't like someone that they interviewed or if, if, if somebody didn't knock them off of their feet, Jason Garrett was going to be the coach of the Dallas Cowboys again. And that's the world that we're in now. It's it's coaching and, and being an owner and being a GM and picking your head coach and keeping your head coach is as subjective as being officials at New Orleans Saints football games. You just never know what you're going to get. And, and you're just consistently guessing and constantly guessing as to see who's a good coach, why he should stay, and if he leaves – who should be hired? And then the the hire start. Ron Rivera, right away, he gets a job in Washington. And I believe this is a good hire because if you look at Daniel Snyder and what he's done as an owner, it's always been the hot guy. It's always been the flashy guy or the dude he fell in love with. He gets rid of Bruce Allen. And so now Daniel Snyder is making these decisions himself and he wants to go a different route. So you go the route of a guy that's been two-time coach of the year. You go the route of a, of a head coach who is respected in his league, not only for the way that he can coach football, but respected because of the type of man that he is. And that's the type of man that the Washington Redskins need. They need somebody that can come in there and clean things up. And so right away, what do, right away, what does he do? He gets Jack Del Rio. Now I don't have a coach to do Tuesday ESPN NFL Live with because they snatch him up right away. And the whole season, I knew that's what he wanted to do, and he thought he'd get an opportunity. I'd actually asked, would it be okay for you or would you be comfortable with being a defensive coordinator? And he said, hell yeah. And so he gets his opportunity and he goes. And then now Ron Rivera moves to the offensive side of the football, which is very important there because of a young quarterback named Dwayne Haskins or just any quarterback that they might have. And he gets Scott Turner. Scott Turner is the son of North Turner, who was the offensive coordinator in Carolina, Carolina, 
under Ron Rivera. And so I said, hmm, nepotism's alive. Must be a good thing that your dad coaches well and he puts you on. And so we we move down the line and then you get to the New York Giants as we as we stay in the NFC East and they hired Joe Judge and people are just going crazy. Oh, he was just a wide receiver coach and a special teams coach and whoop de woop woo But he worked for Nick Saban. He's a special teams analyst and an analyst under Nick Saban. That has value. He he moved on to work under Coach Bill Belichick and the, the New England Patriots for eight years. And when you look at what you do as a special teams coach, there has to be value in that. Other than the head coach, no one else gets to deal with every room in the building, whether it's the quarterbacks because they hold, uh, linebackers because they're the wing on punt, offensive linemen because of field goal protection, the, the, the safety room because that's going to be the guys who are going to be gunners. They're going to be your personal protectors. So if anybody has to understand how to delegate, break things down, and get people in their proper positions, it's Joe Judge. And so when you look at McAdoo and then Shermer and even the, what we've seen in Cleveland and hiring a coach just for a quarterback, this is a smart hire to me. This is not something that I look at and say, you know what? This guy doesn't deserve an opportunity. He was said to go into the meeting and wow the Maras and the, and the ownership of the New York Giants. And if you can do that, if you can get in those rooms and get your opportunity to do these things, then it's good. If you win them over and you get a chance to wear the headsets as, as the head man, isn't that the, isn't that the goal? Right? Isn't that the dream? But it's about getting in that room. You got to get in the room. And there's been rules made to get certain people in the room and to get minorities in the room. And, and, and that rule may not be being used in the, the manner or in the way that it was supposed to be. And so now you move to the Cowboys and the Cowboys bring in Marvin Lewis, who is at Arizona State right now as a, a consultant or an assistant to Herm Edwards. Obviously, he was in... Cincinnati forever and he went to seven playoff games but he never won a playoff game there and that was always the criticism that was always the critique or the ridicule that was received by Marvin Lewis because he just couldn't get over that hump and so the only other guy they bring in is Mike McCarthy and Mike McCarthy sleeps at Jerry Jones's house that's what we do now that's the way. And so when I'm picturing this, okay, Mike McCarthy, we all know Mike McCarthy's a big old dude, right? So with what is your sleepover attire? You know, I envision a onesie that zips up in the front and it has the little things on the booty that you can unbutton in case you got to flap it down. Make sure that your feet are tucked in nicely. And can you imagine the fire pit that Jerry Jones has at his house for you to do s'mores on? Right. And I'm sure these s'mores have some type of graham cracker that's soaked in brandy or or some other expensive liquor that I can't afford. And I mean, it sounds like a good night. I mean, you get the Netflix password and you get the Netflix code and you get to watch whatever shows you want to watch. I mean, you can watch Good Girls. They just dropped uh, season two. You season two is out as well. The Witcher. That's a good one. Can you imagine all the things that they got to do at a sleepover? But that's that's how we want to start this relationship with a guy who 
every time the game's over, everybody rushes over to hear from him before they hear from you because in hearing from you, you're only second to what he says. So now you got to fix what Jerry Jones says. And when Jerry Jones says it, now you got to go in the meeting and make it something different. But let's have a sleepover. Sounds good to me. But that's how we're picking our coaches now. And does everybody get a sleepover? Did Marvin Lewis get a sleepover? Where did Marvin Lewis sleep? Just saying, it's weird. And then the Cleveland Browns, they're just in stinking shambles. They just don't know what they want to do. They rushed it last year. They said, okay, we got the guy because this is going to make Baker really good. And so let's go with Freddie Kitchens. And then you find out Freddie Kitchens ain't really coached last year anyway. And he didn't delegate and he didn't organize. And you probably should have went with Greg Williams, but he rubbed you wrong. You didn't like him. So now John Dorsey has to go home and tell his whole family, I got fired because I went with Freddie Kitchens. Freddie Kitchens changed 30 people live and made him worse because he wasn't supposed to get that job but you can't be mad at freddie kitchens because i'm gonna be honest with you if they call me today and say ryan clark who has never run a practice never run an organization we want you to be the head coach and we're gonna give you five million dollars i'm gone somebody else gonna have to do the podcast i'm gonna let sconey take it over because it ain't freddie kitchens job to say you know what i'm not ready to do this it's your job as the Haslam family, it's your job as John Dorsey, the GM, to pick the right dude. So is the process the right one? And then we go to Carolina. The Carolina Panthers, David Tepper, new ownership. Um, he's a guy who was a minority owner in, in the Pittsburgh Steelers organization. And we know all those dudes want to do things a certain way. They want to find Chuck Noll. They want to find Bill Coward. They want to find Mike Tomlin. Guys, you can have that, that coach for a decade and a half. That's what they want to move to. But Matt Rule, he was the hot name. And listen, if you can win football games at Temple and at Baylor, you can coach football. More importantly, if you can change Baylor, who was on the brink of extinction, who was on the brink of getting the, the death penalty, which the total program, the, the way that they lived, the way that they played football, the way that they recruited, the way that they covered up horrendous acts of, of, of violence, if you get them to win, if you can get them to be good human beings, you should be a coach that's in demand. And it was so cool. I saw on Twitter he gave this big old speech about how much he loved football and Penn State and his master's degree and getting an opportunity to coach on the highest level. And that's why he left Baylor. Those things might be true. But, you know, omittance is lying because he omitted the 60 million guaranteed. Right. Because it wasn't like, hey, I'd go coach at this level for free. No, they say, hey, man, we're going to put you in the top six or seven salaries of head coaches, and you ain't never coaching this league. Oh, and by the way, if you coach real well, that's going to bump up to 70. And it wasn't like he just wanted to coach in Carolina because he, you know, he shot a you up text to the Giants like, say, y'all going to match this? Because that's where it was. It was. It was money, and nothing's wrong with money. And so then you kind of go down and, and David Tepper is talking about why he hired him. And he said, I, it felt familiar. I saw some of myself in Matt Rule. Then I thought about it. I was like, well, nothing's really wrong with that, right? There are things that I think are good about me. And if I could find somebody who doesn't have the stuff that's bad about me, 
but has the things that are good about me that makes me feel comfortable with them. That makes me feel like, you know what? We can win, especially if I see things in the dude and I'm David Tepper and he got things that I got because dudes work like 12B. And that's billion. So if you got some of this 12 billion in you and none of the bad stuff, we gonna win. And when things are comfortable to you and familiar to you and they're easy to talk to and they sound the same and they feel the same, we gravitate toward those things. But there's a problem. Because if every owner picks people based off of what they're familiar with and what they're comfortable with and what makes it feel all warm and cuddly and we wear onesies and eat s'mores together, ain't going to be a lot of minority coaches. Ain't going to be no black dudes. Because they're not getting the opportunities if that's the way it has to happen. If when I'm sitting in front of you, I have to be able to talk to you in a way that you've been used to hearing your whole life. And that's the only way you feel a message can be communicated correctly. Then how am I going to get a chance? How is Eric B. going to get that shot? How is Ken Norton Jr.? How is Byron Leftwich? How is Raheem Morris? How are they going to get those chances again? How is Leslie Frazier, who, yes, he wasn't head coach and it didn't work out. And, and now he's doing a great job in Buffalo, helping that team turn around and helping that team get to the playoffs. How does he get another shot? Or when it's Steve Wilkes and you get your one shot in Arizona and they give you absolutely nothing. And they fire you after one year to go hire a guy in Cliff Kingsbury who never won in college. But we like him and we want to bring that to the league. And so... Now we have gotten to this point where we're stuck. And in, in being stuck and trying to move forward, how do we move forward? Because we've now gone backwards with the Rooney rule. And it's so crazy that that was the rule that was set in place for Mike Tomlin to get an opportunity to interview for that job. Mike Tomlin wasn't the front runner for the Pittsburgh Steelers head coaching job. But he got a chance to be in the room. And when he got a chance to be in the room, he got a chance to wow. He got a chance to show them that his plan for moving forward in the future for the Pittsburgh Steelers was a plan that they could win with. And that's what you want. But when we're just running the same name through Eric Bieniemy's the hot name, Eric Bieniemy, Eric Bieniemy, Eric Bieniemy, when we're just running that hot name through and just making sure we get him in the building and then we get him out, that's not the spirit in which the, the rule was passed. That's not the spirit in which the rule was made. And so now we get to this point to where on this side, I am not criticizing the hires that were made. I am not saying that those people are not qualified. What I'm saying is the process is broken. And sure, we could get to the point and say, hey, let's just do away with the Rooney rule and do it how we used to do it. I mean, there's only four minority coaches anyway, right? And there are three African-American coaches. But let's look at the faces of the league now. Sitting at home with me, with you, is a guy by the name of Tom Brady. It's only the second week of the playoffs. He's the greatest to ever do it. 20 years of dominance, two decades, two decades of my life. Half of my life, this dude has been dominating football, and he's at home. There's another guy 
right down the street from me where I am named Drew Brees, one of the greatest to ever do it. Going to have basically every record that's meaningful from the quarterback position when he finally hangs up the cleats. He's at home too. Man, but then you look, you go back to the AFC, you know who's not at home? Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, come over to the NFC, Russell Wilson. And so now the league and, and, and the big faces, because it used to be, even though it was a majority of African-American players, even though that was it, it wasn't the faces, it wasn't, it wasn't the guys, but now it's the guys. So where do we move on from here? How do we start the pipeline that get people these opportunities to be head coaches? I don't know. I'm not in it. I don't want to coach. But I have a guy who does now. And so in a second, we're going to bring on John Simon. Uh, he's the passing game coordinator at Memphis. Uh, he's a guy who's from Baton Rouge. He's bounced around, done different jobs, done different things, played in the league himself. And we texted and talked a little bit about the business of being an African-American, a black or minority coach and what it's like. All right, man, I'm excited to have my former teammate, uh, John Simon. Uh, we played together in Washington. Um, he made a bad decision and went to Southern Lab instead of University Laboratory School when he was here in, uh, in Baton Rouge, but was a great player at La Tech. Uh, was good in the pros. He's been on the high school level, the college level. He's he's coached running backs, receivers. He's even been a defensive coordinator in his life. I'm not really sure how that worked out for him. Um, <laughs> but I, I just, we were already having a dialogue, and I wanted to bring John on just to give me some of what it's like to be on the inside as not only a minority coach, but a black coach and trying to navigate the system to get to be a head coach, which I believe is the goal for all of those who put on headsets at any time in their lives. So, John, man, I appreciate you coming on, brother. Appreciate you having me, Ryan. Okay, so, you know, I mean, you're in Memphis now, and you guys had a great season. You were the pass game coordinator there, which I thought was really cool because, you know, quick story, you recruited my son Jordan to Arizona mm -hmm. State, and you were the running yes, backs sir. coach there. You had Eno Benjamin who went for over 1,600 yards, and so you were very successful doing that. Why would you move positions and get into something else if you were so good at a position you played and also coaching that position to really a great deal of success? Uh, for me, um, I think Arizona State is an awesome place, uh, awesome opportunity for kids, so um, for your son and even for the kids that I had there. The relationship I had with Eno Benjamin was a special relationship. He knew, um, he's aware of what my goals are mm -hmm. as it relates to what his goals are. So for me, it was that I felt that after the year that I had with him, the time that I was able to spend with him, develop him, that he was on track to mm -hmm. achieve his goals. Right. Um, but for me, it wasn't putting me in a position to achieve my goals. And, um, I don't mean to cut you off, and, and your goal being be a head coach. Head coach, coordinator, okay. um, NFL running backs coach, possibly to have an opportunity to get to the coordinator position. Mm -hmm. So with that, I was instructed and and um, advised that in order to ever be considered for an offensive coordinator position, you got to have the back end because at the end of the day, coordinators get paid for what they do on third down. And so I knew – 
I would have to make a move to receiver at some point. Um, transitioning in this business is hard, um, which we'll get to at some point in the in the conversation as well. And that's because the way that you transition is by guys that know you, guys that have worked with you. Mm-hmm. And I understand why that decision and, and how the system has put college football in a place and football in general of why they have to make decisions based on guys that they know. And it, it goes back to, you know, head coaches are tied to to their staff and the decisions that they staff makes reflects them. So if they don't know a guy or have a great feel for a guy that someone has worked with that guy, they're scared to hire a guy because they know whoever they hire represents them, what they do mm-hmm. at work in the office and outside the office. So I had a unique opportunity that um, Mike Norvell, who's a brilliant mind in football, him and I were college teammates at Louisiana Tech. A lot of people don't know that. In college, I played receiver as well as running back. So he sat in the room with me and knew that I understood the receiver position. So him and only him, maybe one other guy, would give me an opportunity to coach wide receivers. It was an opportunity that I could not pass up because not many people are going to give a running back's coach an opportunity to coach receivers. Well, because if the running back does well, it's all because of the running back. It's never really because of that coach. That's just what everybody believes. That goes back to Little League, right? Mm -hmm. You roll the ball out there and you can say, okay, that kid is a natural running back. That kid goes to middle school, he excels. That kid goes to high school and he may not ever have a coach. And he's able to excel all the way through his career, maybe to the college, all the way to the NFL, and may never have been developed. So that's one of the positions to where it's the credit is given more to that individual than where it is to a coach. Do you think that has to do with sometimes how immediate of an impact running backs can have? You look at, you know, the league now, how a lot of these young runners are being used, whether and now starting to be picked early again, whether it's, you know, Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, Saquon mm-hmm. Barkley, all mm-hmm. of these guys are are able to contribute right away. And we see it in college as well now with the kind of running backs by committee where you have young kids right away be able to contribute. Do you think that's seen differently in the wide receiver room? I, I think it is seen differently in the wide receiver room. I think the running back skill set um, – is something that many really don't understand what they're seeing, why they're making that cut, um, the decisions that they're making, the balance, the body control, the things. It's a, it's a naturally gifted position tied into vision, and a lot goes into it. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the positions that's viewed as a natural position. You'll see it. They'll let an O-line guy coach running backs. They let a quarterback guy coach <laughs> right, running right. backs. They move a guy over from defense. Ah, you coach running backs, you'll be fine. <laughs> and at the end of the day, if that guy is really talented, he may be fine, but he may not really reach his full potential because he does not have a guy that really understands how to help him and develop his craft. I went through it at Louisiana Tech. I, I was blessed and fortunate that I was very talented. I understood the position. And they hired my guy, Joe Robb. Joe Robb was the teams coach in the NFL for a mm-hmm. long time. Yep. Joe Robb came in the first day. He said, Simon, I was in college. He said, I've never coached on the offensive side of the ball, but I'm willing to learn from you. I said, what in the what? <laughs> and at the end of the day, I went out there and performed and had a great a great uh, season. Um, but at the end of the day, 
did I reach my full potential? Mm -hmm. So a lot of these guys, they're able to be successful, or are they really reaching their full potential? But that's, that was one of the positions where it can be hidden. But when you're talking about receiver, you gotta, you're talking about a DB, right? You can't just roll anybody out there. Like you mentioned, I was a defensive coordinator, and I have the basis of a lot of things that you should do in each position. Mm -hmm. But to be able to go out there and talk to a guy about a stance, his feet, studying the receiver hands, placement eyes, where your eyes should go, transition. Those are going to be the things that's going to allow a DB to really yes, excel. Absolutely. So you got to have a guy in that position because if he don't have someone, he can get exposed. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a receiver's coach that understands stance and feet, placement hands, balance, coverage, rotation, and being able to convey that message in a meeting room, then that receiver may not be able to perform. But the running back position is different. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, in high school, that's one of the positions sometimes they don't even have. They might not even have a running back coach. Right. So, so, my, my, so my question is you, you mentioned relationships and mm -hmm. also feeling like you needed to move to a different position and ever to ascend in the coaching ranks. Obviously, you guys had an amazing season, and you had an amazing season – because of how potent you were at Memphis offensively. I mean, Correct. you just flat out could score with anybody. So with that with that happening and with you being a large part of that, have, have you seen anything change in your perception or anything change in the amount of opportunities you are getting now postseason to have opportunities for more coaching jobs? I, I haven't seen anything change as of now, but I know it, it makes me more valuable um, for opportunities in the future. Mm -hmm. um, now I can apply for a job or if I have interest in a job where a coach may not know me. But as a running backs guy, let's say someone uh, in the SEC or the ACC or even the, uh, the American Conference had a receiver job that was open and I was coaching running backs at Arizona State, I would not be able to pursue that job. Let's say right. that it right. was a coordinator's job. I wouldn't have the resume today to go sit in that room and interview for that job because it's not what, when they interview you, it's not about your knowledge. It's about what have you done. Okay. And that was the one thing Todd Munkin taught me because uh, as a young coach in college, you know, young. And Todd, and Todd Munkin was recently the offensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns. He was in Tampa Bay as well Correct. with Jameis Winston Correct. the year before, right? As you, Sir. Okay, perfect. Yes, sir, which was my position coach in college, which okay. uh, gave me my first opportunity, which was my head coach at Southern Miss. Um, so, Todd Munkin, you know, me being the young first-year coach, I come in with all these ideas. And, Coach, we should do this. He said, tell me who has done it and show it to me <laughs> on film. Hey, that film is real. They always want to see they, it on film. And they always want to see it on film because at the end of the day, they want to be able to see it and say, okay. So, when you interview, it's the same deal. It's okay, tell me what you've done and what you've been around. Mm -hmm. What was your ideas when it was uh, quarters, when you was going to see special coverages, third and short, third and five? Not, well, this is what I think. No, don't tell me what you think. I, we're investing a lot of money. I need to know that this is going to work. So um, for me, I believe that this is going to strengthen my resume Um to show them that I know more than just running backs, which I've had a lot of successful running backs. Right. Um, and now I want to show them that I can develop receivers and I know a little bit about third down. Well, so my, so my, I, think my, it, I don't mean to cut you off. So my question in that would be, though, John, if you're, if you're saying that once you get into these interviews and you get these opportunities 
to sit in front of people and, and talk about coaching or apply for jobs if they aren't asking you about what you can do in the future, what, what ideas you have, or if those things don't matter as much, if you don't get the opportunity for the experience, how do you ever meet their qualifications for a job? Exactly, and that's the issue with the system. So, and to, and to tie you back as we, as we continue to go, um, I interviewed for two NFL jobs last year okay. um, as, as a running back guy. And, um, and I did very well in the interview. And the coach said to me, one of the coaches said, how can I hire a guy that I just met in two hours that wow. I've only known for two hours? Wow. You know, but it's, again, and I get it, but I'm like, well, you knew when you flew me out here that you only was going to have two hours to get to know me. You, you understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, but the system, if you go back to when we were in college football, Ryan, and you think about it, I don't know if you realize that the summers, we never saw our coaches. Never. They were never out there. Strength coaches, well, that was it. Strength coaches, that was it. Well, NCAA changed rules now. Coaches are out there working with them in the summer. Well, the reverse of that is that young coaches, when do you get a chance to go professional develop when you get a go get a chance to go and meet other coaches and network and talk ball with guys so guys do know your knowledge about ball guys do get a feel for who you are as a person so when opportunities do arrive you have a network a rolodex of people that you've spent time with that may be willing to give you an opportunity based off they've had conversations with you right um so that's part of the system uh, at the other place that I went uh, and interviewed, and, and, and I felt like I did a really good job, and all the feedback was really, really positive, um, I was presented a question in the end about one of the prospects at Arizona State, Nikhil Harry. Mm-hmm. And based on how I answered that question, they decided that I may be the type of guy um, that will use my knowledge and my experience. Um, to backstab coaches and grow in this business and advance in this business. Just <laughs> so, simply based off of how you answer the question about a, a, a prospect. Right. So for me, if, if, you, if I'm interviewing and you're hiring me, I'm going to answer a question as if I'm on this staff and I need to make sure whoever we're bringing in that I give you all the information necessary because whoever we bring in is going to help, help us. It's going to, either help me or it's going to hinder us, it's going to hinder me. Right. So um, I, I was told that, you know, one of my mentors told me that, well, you answered, you gave a real answer. You should not have answered the question as if you were there. So it's, it's part of the learning experience. But things like that you bump into, why? Because you, you're trying, a person is trying to get a, not only your knowledge, but they're trying to get a feel for who you are as a person in a two-hour span. Fan. Right, and, and that's not, and and, th- and that's really difficult. But I think it's also difficult because when you talk about when when someone tells you they feel that you may use things against other people in order in order to elevate yourself, to me mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with coaching. That has to do with your character. Without and, question, and I don't feel like you can be a correct judge of my character. Not only in two hours but especially not from the way I answer one football question. Without a question. And so, so, I, and, and so I think a lot of times that's 
that's what you you face. And so in when given that feedback, what do you do with it though? Well, the only thing that you can do, Ryan, is uh, go back to the drawing board, go back to the table, and and look at that question and and learn from it, and say I I can't answer that question. I can't give you a real answer to certain questions, but it shouldn't have to be that way. But at the at the end of the day, that's the only options that you have. Okay, so you uh, you, you you talk about relationships, and and we've heard you mention that more than once, and with you. Uh, attempting to ascend and, and making sure you make the right decisions and you maneuver in the right way to give yourself these opportunities. How important do you feel it is for minority coaches when they are put in positions of power, when they are put in positions where they can make decisions on on who works with them? How important is it for them to have people around that look like them, to have people around that they are familiar with because in, in in many situations you do see that coaches get head coaching jobs and they are minority coaches and they don't hire minority coordinators or minority mm-hmm. assistant head coaches do you think there's some fear there that you need some of those other people around in order to succeed uh, i don't think that's the fear but i think the system has put you in a position um to where you don't have a lot of guys that you feel like that you can hire. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, when I say that, um, I think Marvin Lewis said it best, and I'm very impressed with Marvin Lewis, and it's not about minorities, because when you say minorities and blacks, 75% of the people hear you, but 75% of our country stop listening. Yes. So, so you have to change the narrative to um, uh, the best coaches. Uh, like like Marvin said, he said, I felt like I had to hire the best coaches for my staff and not a minority coach. Mm-hmm. Because when you say minority coach, people look at him as if you're a minority candidate. They look at you different. Right. And same thing. I have to go get the best defensive back or the best running back or the best person for the job. Um, so I think it's hard to say who you should hire, to tell anybody who they should hire. Mm-hmm. As it relates to a head coach, if I'm an owner of the NFL team, I don't know if you can tell someone who they can hire. But I think what we have to look at, we have to look at the foundation of the system that's not putting um, a lot of diverse people in position to even climb, to extend, to be in position for those jobs. Explain now, that, Explain it a little bit, John. So when I say that is like if you go back to the whole college system, college coaching, if, if college coaching now, the one thing that has not changed, the money has changed, but the money for the lower level grad assistant has not has not changed. So when you talk about in order to, to get started in college football as a coach, you have to be a grad assistant, okay, where you're going to make maybe ten to twelve thousand dollars a year. You've graduated college, you're 23, okay, or 22 years old, and you're going to have to work three to five years um, for $12,000 a year. Right. Okay, so now majority of these coaches, the young guys started at 22, now you're 26 and you're 27, and you're working for $12,000 a year. So now you got to go back and look at it. Let's forget the minority and majority. Let's just talk about the haves and have nots. 
So when your mom or if you're a kid that grows up and you have family that are depending on you after you graduate college mm-hmm. or you're about to get married or you're about to move on with life, how many people that's not financially stable, does not have financial support, can afford to take a job that's paying them $12,000 a year and say they're going to do that for the next four years right. in hopes? How, how do you get to go home and tell your old lady that? Say, boo, um, <laughs> in the next four years, I'm going to bring home this 12000 so you make sure you carry us. <laughs> right. So, now, don't get me wrong. There are a few. Mike Norvell is one of those guys mm-hmm. that came through that system. Um, but a lot of guys go through that system, and after they come out of that system, they have to take a Division two or one AA job. So, I think when you look at that system, you say, wow, this system is really not set up to encourage more people that does not have financial support to get into this business. Right. So if you raise that number to a 24 of a number to where that they could live a normal life, then you would have more people that may be willing to go through the cycle and the system. If you look at most of your minority uh, coaches, if you did a study, I would say most of them either former players mm-hmm. or their former high school coaches that got into the business. Um, and so when you come into the business that way, it's almost as if you've missed the foundation and structure of, of growing to be at the top of the program, a head coach, a CEO of the program, because in order to for most people to be a CNO, they want to know that you've done it from the groundwork up. In my third, my second year co- coaching college football, I went to my head coach. I said, should I go back and be a GA, uh, 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 paid GA in the NFL so I can make sure that I've crossed the box right. to say that I've had those steps. I've done this and I've done that. Because what happens is when you're a GA, you work with the offensive coordinator yeah. And you are probably as value, more valuable to that offensive side or that defense side of the ball as any position coach. And that offensive coordinator who's in line to be a head coach one day, he knows you. He knows your knowledge. Yep. You've been in a position to show your knowledge. Other than that, as a position coach, your job is to manage your room and manage your position. No, that, 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 and I, that, I didn't not, even think nothing. about that. That's – because well, you look let, at let a lot me, of these coaches, I'm not just finish, but you look at a lot of these coaches, they started the way you're talking about it right now, a lot of these head coaches. Without a question. And that's how you end up with these head coaches that are that are there at 34 and mm-hmm. 35. So, you know, it, and it's the blessing and the curse, right? The blessing and the curse is that you're talented enough to go to the NFL, but those five years you were pursuing NFL, once you come out, that guy that was not talented enough to go to the NFL that started coaching right out of college. Mm-hmm. Now, when you come back, even though you probably was the best receiver or the best quarterback or whatever it was, you could possibly come get a job for that guy because it's not about what he knows, but he understands the system of how to put everything together of a program. Um, so that's how it's viewed, and that's how that's why the um, – um, that's why some guys are, in sense, punished or not given the same opportunities as those other guys. Now, for me, the challenge for me was always when I would see all these coaches, you know, 
guys say he's the coach of the year or mm. or on my own staff, you know, they would say when I was at Southern Miss, they would say, man, this guy, he's a bright young mind in the future. I would say now, how does anybody know who's a bright young mind? Because no one has <laughs> ever came and sat in my meeting room. Right. It's, it's, it's about I, what they see from your players. It's about, but it's the perception of certain people. Okay. And certain people are marketed that way. So, for example, I've been coaching for seven years, and I've never had a coach to sit in my meeting room and evaluate how I conduct my meeting, what I'm teaching my guys, how I'm training my guys. So at the end of the day, it should be based off what you see on film. But if you're saying that about this individual, but you're not saying this about another coach whose position is performing, then I have questions. So the same, I don't know if you noticed, I tweeted yesterday, congratulations to my guy, uh, Mickey Joseph. Mm-hmm. Right? Mickey Joseph, wide receiver coach at LSU. Every year they come out with these Coaches of the Year awards. And Mickey Joseph had two receivers, over 1,400 yards receiving. And he had two receivers tied for the, the national lead in touchdown receptions with 18. Yeah. And he is not the coach of the year. I don't know if this has ever been done in the history of the game, but he is not the receiver's national coach of the year. And I may be the only guy to have a problem with that. But I said, my guy, congratulations, because he deserved it based off what he's done, what his position has done. Mm -hmm. But, again, I just think those are the the issues that we have in our system. Um, I don't think we can say because if I if I got a head job right now, Ryan, I could only hire guys that I've been blessed to work with that I know they're going to do the job. Why is that? It's because as a head coach now, especially in the NFL, you only got one year, right? And if you don't get, get it right this year, yeah, you're out of there. So do I really have time to gamble and say, man, I think I see something in this guy? You know what? In three years, he's going to be a great coach, but. I'm going to bring him and we're going to go through this learning curve right now. No, they're putting you in positions where you better go hire the best of the best guys that's proven to do it right now. So that's why you see that recycle in the NFL. In the college system, it's, again, head coaches are held responsible for every decision a coach makes, whether he has an uh, issue at home, off the field, at work, mm-hmm. his personality, how's he going to respond if I'm coaching him hard, you know, so guys want to hire guys that they've worked with or that they've worked with somebody that they know can vouch for them. Right. So that's the struggle with when you say guys getting opportunities in college football because you don't have a platform now in the summer to go network and get an opportunity to meet guys and spend time with guys and know what their values right. are and know who they are as a person. So you spin it so forward. I'm going to cut you off. So you spin it forward, though. If it's that problem in college, how does that relate to the NFL and the lack of offensive coordinators, quarterback coaches, um, head coaches? Because you do have guys like yourself who ha- who did play in the NFL, mm-hmm. guys like yourself who does who who do have the coaching experience. Mm-hmm. So is there an opportunity to make that jump if maybe the college system is broken a certain way to get into the league and 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 get into a pipeline that allows you to be a head coach someday or to be a coordinator someday? 
Right. And and I think that the, the Dan Rooney rule um, has been kind of taken out of context now for what it was meant to be. Right. Um, it's almost like the war on drugs, right? It, it, it started off with great intent, but then the, it was used completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you say that, when I say that, you look at the Dan Rooney rule of, of, of interviewing. So now it's just the interview deal. But again, that's for the top positions. But the question is, can we not put something in place that says on the lower levels, you know, we, you have to have diversity in those positions on the lower levels on the which is the GA positions or your off the field positions to where you would say this is not going to be a direct reflection of you winning the game on Saturday or Sunday. Because I don't think you can tell someone who they should hire as it relates to them feeling like they have to win a game on Saturday and Sunday. Okay. But these other positions that centered around development, why couldn't there be requirements for us to put guys in those pipelines and make sure that we have a diverse room across the country of guys that are getting those opportunities um, to develop, to grow, to learn, and that's where these coaches are coming up. And that's where now it's becoming a have and have yes. not. Man, you know because what? Because at the end of the day, <laughs> if 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 I'm in the NFL, right now I'm a head coach, Ryan, mm-hmm. and your son finishes playing ball and he wants to get in the NFL, well, who are you going to call? Gotta call people but there's not many guys that are in, in that chair that, per se, that I can call or someone else that looks like you can call to to be able to make that. Now, you played in the league, so you have different contacts. Right. But it shouldn't be about a have and have not. It should be a level playing field where guys, whether they financially set or they've been to a high level with a high name, don't have to necessarily have that name to be able to get started on the lower levels of the industry. I appreciate John Simon. I appreciate his candor, his his honesty, his his vulnerability, his his ability to be open about something that's not easy. You know, when you hear someone say something like they thought that I would stab a coach in the back to elevate myself, that's deep. You know, that brings me back to people saying they didn't like Cam Newton's smile that they will pick apart everything they possibly can because they want to get the right coach. And here's the thing, it actually gave me a little bit of perspective. He said, and this is a guy who's in the business, a black coach, a minority coach, an African-American coach that said, you can't tell people who to hire when it comes to winning and losing games. He said, I don't believe that you can tell an owner who you should take. That makes sense to me now. And it's not necessarily about having coaches at the highest point that you could take. It's about being able to give them opportunities through the pipeline which are often given to people that you know, to people that you are familiar with, to the haves. And here I am upset with or or looking at Anthony Lynn and wondering why it's Gus Bradley and Mike Nowak. And then you look at the Steelers and Coach Tomlin, who I love dearly, who's had three different offensive coordinator, whether it's Haley, Finkner, uh, Arians. And, And then you look at Keith Butler after having the great Dick LeBeau, and you wonder, okay, why don't these coaches hire more people that look like them? And then I think back to the Tony Dungies, and I think back to the Jim Caldwells, and you can now even look at the Brian Floreses, who has Patrick Graham as a DC, and Jim Caldwell is his assistant head coach. And you say, but you can't ask these coaches 
to go out and get people who aren't the best. So let's start giving some of these younger minority coaches opportunities to grow and be the best. Let's put some things in place that give them an opportunity to be on staffs, to learn from the Bill Belichicks when your name isn't Steve or Steven Belichick, to learn from the North Turners when your name isn't Scott Turner, when they aren't your seeds, when it's not Rex and Rob Ryan, when your name is John Simon, when your name is Eric Bieniemy, when your name is Leslie Frazier. Let's give them opportunities to grow through the ranks where they get an opportunity to one day sit in front of owners, sit in front of general managers and say, I have the requisite skill, the requisite experience to be your guy. And so now you start thinking, though, it's like, thank you, Dan Quinn, because Raheem Morris is now your defensive coordinator. And you say, thank you, Sean McDermott, because Leslie Frazier or you thank Pete Carroll for Ken Norton Jr. and all these people who are getting these jobs because they are qualified. Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich, there are all these things. And you say, man, like I came in here today mad at African-American and minority head coaches for not going out and getting offensive and, and defensive coordinators who look like them. But they have to win just as owners have to win. And so it's not necessarily that the Rooney rule is broken. It's that the pipeline to getting there doesn't work is that the opportunities that are given to minority coaches are very few they're slim and so the coaches who are willing to go that route and get these people in rooms that's not just the defensive back room because you play there and because you can relate the running back room because you play there and because you can relate no where you give them some responsibility because you feel like they have the organizational skills the delegation skills to get not only their room running correctly but the building running correctly because that's where it has to go. It has to start lower because when you go out and hire these coaches, these quarterback coaches, you get these linebacker coaches, these D-line coaches, the O-line coaches, the coaches that we often see ascend to the opportunities to be offensive and defensive coordinators, all of them don't look like me. But when you look at the field, many of them do. So why do you not get those opportunities? Why aren't you getting, given those opportunities at the baseline so you can get to where you need to be. And so when you look at not necessarily what's wrong, but when you try to find a way to make it right, you have to dive deeper into it. And you have to dive deeper into the history, right? Into having generational wealth because generational wealth puts the people in the ownership suites that gets to buy the team that gives them the opportunity to go hire who they want. That gives David Tepper and Jimmy Haslam an opportunity to say, you know what, I felt comfortable and familiar with this guy because it seemed like me. He has a lot of qualities that I have. So you don't have that generational wealth. And then you look at the coaching ranks and you see how it's littered with backup quarterbacks. Frank Wright, Doug Peterson, Jason Garrett, Jason Garrett's offensive coordinator who was Kellen Moore. And these are all guys who are backups. They didn't play. But when you look at backups, they're often given the label as intelligent. They're often given the label as 
quick learner, great executor because they don't get an opportunity to practice as much as the starter, but they need to be ready and know exactly as much as he knows when they get the opportunity without getting the repetition. So those guys hop right into quarterback rooms and they hop right in to offensive offensive jobs because they say, you know what, we've seen you in your position and in your position in football, you showed that you had a capacity to learn without being taught a being taught or given an opportunity to run through it a lot. And so now we know that you can go into your room and communicate it the way we want it communicated. But for so long, African-Americans and minorities, you weren't allowed to be a backup. Let's look at the start. Let's look at the quarterbacks in the league now. Right. And, and the guys that, that, that get to be backup, RG three gets to be a backup, but he was a Heisman winner and he gets to be a backup now because he's very similar to the guy that starts. So you don't have to change the offense. If the guy that starts in Lamar Jackson goes down, you got RG three. And then you look at Tyrod Taylor, who was a guy who was once a starter in Buffalo. He was drafted to the Baltimore Ravens and he got moved around, went to Cleveland, replaced by Baker Mayfield. Now he's backing up Phillip Rivers in Los Angeles, but this is a guy with a unique skill set, a unique talent. African-American quarterbacks aren't often given the opportunity that Charlie Bass got to say that, you know what, you have a capacity to learn, you have an ability to execute without giving the repetition. Because we don't put intelligence on those faces. But now let's look at the faces of the league. Last year, the MVP, Patrick Mahomes. This year, the MVP, possibly or probably, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson is the guy who will probably finish second. And now you got Deshaun Watson, who's now moved his team into the second round of the playoffs. So as we move forward, do, do those guys get opportunities to be coaches or do they make enough money to where they don't have to, which it seems like, but there are no backup quarterbacks behind them who will get that opportunity to be the quarterback coach, get that opportunity to ascend to be the OC. So as whereas I'm asking owners to fix it, and it seems like, man, owners can't fix it because they have to win. And then where I'm asking minority and African-American and black coaches to fix it and hire OCs and DCs and put these people in positions, it's like, okay, they can't fix it. And then you hear Bruce Arians tell his African-American coaches, it just takes somebody to believe in you and I believe in you. That is powerful. So to him, I say thank you. To Mr. Rooney, I say thank you because they named a rule after you and you didn't shun it. You didn't say we're going to make it a formality. You hired Mike Tomlin. And you didn't hire Mike Tomlin because of the rule. You didn't hire Mike Tomlin as some affirmative action hire. You hired him because he was the right person, but he was able to get in the room. And he was able to get into a room because Tony Dungy allowed him to be on his staff. Tony Dungy allowed him to grow. He got an opportunity to be a D.C. in Minnesota because of Tony Dungy. And when he grew through that, that's how he got to sit in front of Mr. Rooney. And so it's not to say that the system can't be fixed. It's not to say that when owners hire coaches, they're saying, I just want to hire the white guy. I'm not saying that coaching, hiring, and the process is racist. I'm just saying it needs to be fixed top to bottom. This is first uh, face first. I can't even get it out. I'm so excited with Ryan Clark. We appreciate y'all. Underestimated and still I made it. In the book of hard knocks, I'm highly educated. Nobody told me looked over, but still dedicated. Played in the league for 13. I ain't gotta be favorite. Two 
Super Bowls, Honolulu, I stood with the greatest. The thing is this, if never rich, I'm good with my neighbors. DB Precision, television, ain't asked for no favors. Numbers don't lie, neither do pictures, just look in the papers. No backing down or turning back, part two of the movie. Never the biggest, but it takes more than two just to move me. Ain't gotta like what I'm saying, just respect it, it's honest. Run through opponents, watch the film, it's effective, I promise. Sit back and grab your popcorn, watch me go to work. Tackle all of these topics right here on Face First. Uh.